You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. That was from a rare interview with the late filmmaker Stanley Kubrick regarding his reluctance to explain the true meaning of his 1980 adaptation of The Shining, Stephen King's ghostly novel of a family being consumed by a haunted hotel during a Colorado winter. Although fans of the novel and the author himself felt it was a missed opportunity to portray certain segments of the book, the movie was in fact a brilliant interpretation of King's terrifying story. And some believe that Stanley Kubrick purposefully hid messages deep in the subtleties and threads of The Shining's macabre images and enigmatic dialogue. Tonight's guest is one of them, and we'll learn about her perspective after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Is it the isolation or the unnerving quiet? 
In this place, imagination becomes reality. And reality will strip this man of his sanity. Jack Nicholson stars in The Shining. Here's Johnny. Shelley Duvall and Danny Lloyd co-star in Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece of the macabre. Showtime presents The Shining. to the witch i'm your host christopher garitano and tonight's guest stephanie kane has an education in history coupled with a love for motion pictures and its vast collection of trivia reviewing movies on her long island craft cutie social media sites one particular obsession began with her interest in the stanley kubrick classic horror film the shining Regardless of how outlandish some of the theories might be that the late Stanley Kubrick was hiding messages in the labyrinth of his monolithic motion picture, Stephanie believes that some of them are certainly true. So here's my interview with Stephanie Kane. Okay, so yeah, so I was born and raised on Long Island in New York. Um, So my entire life I've always been kind of a horror nerd. Um, but my whole life, I've also been really interested in Cold War history. Um, I studied Russian since I was super young, since I was in third grade, went away to college, actually studied abroad in Russia and studied international relations and Russian in college. Um, so of course I love any conspiracy theories about the Cold War. Um, so that mixed with horror brings me to my absolute love of The Shining and why I love the moon landing conspiracy theories of Stanley Cooper. Okay, so, and here's the thing, for the people that don't know, can you take us back to that time and place in the world where this conspiracy uh, may have been born, or at least the information behind it? What, what was happening in the world at the time of the space race? Yeah, so the space race was a very, uh, very interesting time in United States history um, because there was a lot of paranoia. Right, of course. Um, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, so missiles were getting way too close to mainland U.S. Um, the United States government famously lied about their Star Wars program. Um, so one false truth that was told, um, and the Star Wars program, you know, was a a shield around the U.S. that allegedly could shoot down missiles um, that didn't exist. You know, it was, it was done from satellites and it was blocking missiles from the USSR. That was not real. Uh, we lied about that to get an upper hand on the USSR. So there was a ton of paranoia, heightened sensitivity, and The Shining came out in 1980. So during just the heart of all of this tension um, between the two countries. Okay. So now The Shining comes out um, during the the height, the peak, the pinnacle of the Cold War and the crisis. I mean, literally, I believe we were very close to um, nuclear destruction. And, uh, you know, and I think that lasted until what the mid to late eighties. Uh, so at that time, Kubrick was Stanley Kubrick was quite aware and 
absorbing all of the information in the world as he did because he was a, a conscious person and was speaking about the world through his translations into cinema. I think most of his movies were adaptations. But rewinding back a little bit, let's say, to um, the time where 2001 A Space Odyssey came out, what do you think, because I know there's a variety, and we'll discuss the variety that's in The Shining, of, of statements that were being made and perhaps some things that were covertly being said. One of them in particular is the fact that people believe there are certain people that believe, and I'm not sure if you will learn if you actually believe it or not, that after 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, the U.S. government saw what Stanley Kubrick was capable of in terms of the special effects and the perspectives of space that no one ever saw before in a movie like that. It blew people away, not on its first run, but you know when people started doing acid and going into the movie theater. Um, but what happened at that point in time, in terms of the conspiracy, if you can kind of lay out the story of that, what what is said to have happened when Stanley Kubrick was approached by the government? Yeah, so allegedly, allegedly, so they say, um, he was approached and he filmed the entire moon landing in a Hollywood basement. So a lot of people believe that in The Shining, he was giving little, little notes to say, hey, it was me, that was real. Um, and I think some of their their points are him definitely nodding to it, um, but I don't know if it necessarily meant he's just kind of being a troll um, or if he's actually confirming the conspiracies. It makes you wonder, though, because I I know for a fact that it was 2001 A Space Odyssey was unlike any movie that ever came before it and certainly unlike any science fiction film or perspectives on space. And at that time... We were in, just like you had mentioned earlier, there was a space race again in the in the height of the Cold War, um, where Star Wars, you know, the the thing that Reagan had said we had was actually fake. Mm-hmm. So, and I know of other conspiracies that I've looked into, uh, you know, on some of my investigative documentaries that I I know were real, you know. Like the Holmesburg prison experiments and MK Ultra and, and human experiments, so uh, or, or even the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, all these things are, are atrocious, and they were all committed by those ones in particular by the U.S. government. So in this case, I wouldn't put it past them to fake something. No, not at all. All right, and and to lay a little bit of groundwork there as well. We were getting beaten in the space race because Yuri Gagarin went to space um, for the USSR. So the USSR got into outer space before we did. Um, so how do you beat them? You land on the moon and you claim it. Um, so they, they're in incentive there to lie. There's definitely incentive. What were some of the, the Russian or the Soviet programs in terms of the space race? Like how were they kicking our butts at the time in terms of this competition to to accomplish things in space what what were their cosmonauts achieving or their or their astrophysicists I mean really the biggest thing was Yuri Gagarin getting into space first um but with them it was always just a very tight race between us and them to see who could get there first um so of course you know there was the Sputnik satellite that they shot up into space that was a very big deal um and then when Yuri Gagarin went into space the United States citizens were nervous, of course, you know, and with the history of the Cuban Missile Crisis, 
you get a little scared that you're like, wow, they're really leaps and bounds ahead of us technologically. Um, so that was a scary time for us. Okay. So they're terrified. Let, okay. I'm just going to lay this out. So mm-hmm. let's say this conspiracy has truth to it. So what happens is, and you tell me if this is correct to what the conspiracy theorists are saying. So Kubrick is seen as this visual and cinematic genius who has achieved a look to his motion pictures that no one has seen. So we're rewinding back. I think it was like 69 when it came out, 68. I mean, think about it. 2001 A Space Odyssey is gorgeous right now. <laughs> you know. So it's like rewinding back to back then. The audience is looking at this thing. They're absolutely blown away and so is the government. And then they're like, let's wag the dog. And we're, you know, the Russians are beating us in this space race. We're going to look terrible. Here, I have an idea. We're going, to get, we're going to land on the moon and we're going to be the first to do it. Now, I'll tell you what my observations are on this. I want to know what you think. But I think generally that's the idea behind the conspiracy, that they saw Kubrick as this genius that they could hire to help fake the moon landings. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. According to conspiracy theorists, of course. Um, And the one thing that the United States has had kind of a hold on for so many decades was having Hollywood. So we had abilities to do things that a lot of other countries didn't have the means to do. Um, So were the means there? Potentially. Right. And and to have a genius, because he was a genius, like Stanley Kubrick, and, 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 you know, if you look up the root definition of genius, it really is just someone that has this really unique uniquely them they're offering into the arts or, or or into science or whatever right but it's but in his case he truly was an intellectual and he was a mathematician and he was a chess player and he was a really smart guy and i don't think it was just the visual effects because he was a collaborator on that he did design those but they got him because if you think about it if if the moon landing was faked the stuff that we saw. Now, the stuff surrounding it looks very real to me. It doesn't even look like the special effects from 2001 at all or any special effects. And in terms of the orbital stuff or the launch or any of that, I think all that stuff really happened. But the landing stuff, that's where it's interesting to me. Um, And I just want to know before I tell you what I think, I want to know what you think about this leading us down this path. Let's say we're assuming this was real. Where are we now? So they approach Stanley Kubrick, and he's at a time where he's a little frustrated, even though he just made this movie that he seemed to have full control over. What type of deal could be given to someone like that to fake something as profound as landing on the moon? And I'm not saying we faked it. I'm saying if we did, how how did this work? You know, that's a great question. Um, so to your point, not saying that that's what I believe. Um, but the government definitely could have ways of, of persuading people. And I don't think anyone truly knows him well enough to know what levers could potentially make him do something. Um, you never know. I mean, it could have been a sense of, uh, oh, we might be in trouble. Uh, so maybe I'm willing to help. Um, you know, maybe so what, what I think is a little bit more likely is that, we did land on the moon, but maybe we needed to fudge a little bit of footage um, to make it a little more convincing to show the masses. Um, so maybe he was like, hey, I want to be able to sell this story um, just for national security purposes. Um, but you never know. It could be people have some some back room information on people. You never know what people have in their closets. 
Sure. Now, you know, I've met a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too, that have much more outlandish claims than that. Everything from two-fisted tales of people having hand-to-hand combat with a werewolf, yep, someone told me that, <laughs> to, um, um, to the fact that the earth is flat, to everything is being faked. It's literally like the Truman Show. Uh, or Dark City, okay, that there are reptilians in human skin, much like uh, V, you know, the old TV show V or um, John Carpenter's They Live. I mean, I've heard it all. They're all saying all of the above is real. I've met people that swear to this, that we're, that, and, and the thing that scares me the most is that there really are conspiracies. And when you have all of these things laid out before you, and people insist that all of the all of the above, they're all real. The supernatural, one hundred percent, is real. Um, it doesn't give you any room for discretion to get your feet back on the ground, or even pay attention to the true deceptions that are happening, because there are deceptions. In this case, having said everything I just said, it's believable that that at that time they would have faked it, and then broadcast it to the world. I'm not saying they did, but this is one of the more believable hoaxes uh, and for the purposes of actually manipulating the world into thinking that we landed on the moon first. So this is not as elaborate as some of the other things I've heard. (laughs) And if they were going to get somebody to do it, Kubrick may have been the guy because I've always been curious as to how he was allowed to have all that time to make those movies. And these, when his films came out, they didn't, they were not box office smashes. Most of them weren't, but somehow he kept achieving these budgets and kept making these movies. Now there are other movie makers like David Lynch, who he has benefactors, people that really believe in his artwork and Kubrick very well may have had that as well at Warner brothers who, continue to finance his pictures. But there's something very odd about this. And, and, and an auteur like that would have, I believe, would have taken a deal where for the rest of his life, he could make whatever he wanted to make for the amount of time that he could choose. And that's what he had for the most part. So that gets us forward. He makes a few movies after 2001. And then he gets to The Shining. And I read a story that he was sifting through books and he came to Stephen King's book and found this, this vessel for what he wanted to say. So hence, our, um, our topic of today is that The Shining holds a lot of symbolism one way or another. Can you start taking us down that road? When did you first hear about it? And um, what was the first series of symbols or hidden meanings in The Shining that really piqued your interest? Yeah, so... I mean, probably the first time I watched The Shining, I had to have been 11, 12. Um, so for me, it was very much face value, right? Um, but as the years have gone on, I've started really digging a lot more into what the the symbolism is. And I, I've started to fall into some of those conspiracy theories that people have about the movie. And some I think are are kind of valid and some not so much. Um, but it makes it interesting, right? Because he's he leaves it a little open-ended, um, what his true message in the movie is. Um, so I think one of the big ones that I really started seeing first is about, you know, the slaughter of Native Americans. And he's very on the nose about that in the movie. It's it's something characters just straight up say. 
um, that the hotel is built on an Indian uh, Native American burial ground, um, that, you know, they had to fight off a bunch of Native Americans in order to even build the hotel. Um, there are a lot of Native American art pieces around the hotel. So you're just seeing a lot of pieces representing that. So I think that's very on the nose. So I don't necessarily think that's much of a conspiracy that he was giving that messaging. It's a little on the nose. Um, but as you dig a little bit deeper, I think what's really interesting is he has a very clear theme of the labyrinth. So he really brings in Greek mythology into the story, um, which I find really interesting because, you know, of course they show the maze over and over, but people have done a lot of studies on the actual layout of the hotel. Um, so it's really helpful is when you see Danny going around on the tricycle, the shape of the hotel does not make any sense and would not, could not actually be that shape. Um, he would have just hit a whole bunch of dead ends. There are windows like in the office, in Ullman's office, there's a window. There couldn't have been because of the shape of the map of the hotel, right? So Stanley Kubrick was never a sloppy filmmaker. I don't think that's something he would do. So then you're like, well, maybe the hotel is also a labyrinth. And I think what's really interesting is I actually rewatched the movie today. And on the sign for the maze, at the top of the maze, it says maze. And then underneath it says maze and labyrinth. And I'm like, why would he say that twice? And why would you say maze and labyrinth, right? So I think he's really trying to, to pull in those themes um, of the Minotaur, of the labyrinth, um, and of people being brought in. So, you know, in the Greek mythology story, the um, Athenians had to send seven boys and seven girls every few years to effectively get sacrificed to the labyrinth. Um, so you start to then pull into the theme of, well, are they the sacrificial lambs, you know, um, the Torrance family? So it starts bringing in this this theory of them being brought in purposefully to be given to the house. Um, and then you start to dig into some of these imperialist themes. Um, so at one point when he's sitting at the bar, he talks about the white man's burden. And your average person might just hear that and he's just having a drink. You might not realize it's an imperialist poem about the U.S. imperialist campaign of the Philippines. So they bring in a lot of pieces of even German imperialism. Um, some people nod to his typewriter being a German typewriter and the name of it means eagle in German, apparently. Um, so they're saying that there's some German imperialism themes in there, um, but there's a lot of themes of royalty. Um, so there's a skiing poster that says monarch. Um, they refer to royals staying at the hotel. So you start, and politicians as well. He said four former presidents. So you really start to pick up on those themes of this greed and imperialism and a lot of bloodshed throughout the movie. It's amazing. It's just sitting, you know, just listening. It's like, you know, he was a, an avid reader and probably a minor historian himself, especially with all the research that went into his unmade Napoleon film and um, or any, anything else he does. And so to the idea that he was making a motion picture that one day like right now, and other people are doing it too, obviously, that it would be dissected and analyzed like James Joyce's Ulysses or, um, you know, Moby Dick or any, any book like that, that we study and really look deep into because there's so much to it and so much in the threads that he was making a movie like that, that I don't even think Stephen King realized it until much later. And, um, you know, I wonder was he doing that just to make us do some work and enjoy investigating this? Or was he really saying something 
in this? Was he trying to secretly tell us something? What do you think? Oh, I definitely think he was trying to slip some things under the radar. So I think his initial themes of Native American imperialism, um, I think were very on the nose to entice you to dig further into additional themes, um, which is a big reason why I, I don't necessarily believe that he filmed the moon landing because this movie is so anti-imperialist. Um, like it, it's very obvious that he is saying that this is a bad thing, right? Um, that I can't imagine that he would do it. Um, and I, I think it might actually be his little nod that the Cold War was also a lot of imperialist proxy wars. Um, so I think that was a little bit more of his message was a little a little nod, but a small one because it was current events. So I think he was trying to not get into too much trouble. So I think he was just dropping little nods to things that were a little bit more current. So in other words, it could have been possible that, all right, let's, I mean, I know you have to throw up, a, just in a, any investigation, you have to throw up several scenarios just to try and understand whether this is true or not. Absolutely. All right. So one, one possibility is that he was approached and that he turned them down, but then he knew about what they were doing. The other one is that he was on such a high because of 2001 A Space Odyssey being such a masterpiece and that he had full creative control over it, that he did never want, he would never want to lose that again, ever. And I just believe that any movie maker, it would be difficult for them not to take that deal. And I don't want to use the phrase selling your soul. But perhaps Kubrick said, you know, to have for the rest of my life to be able to be with my family, live outside of the US and go make every movie I ever wanted to make and be given the time that I need to do it, I'll take it. I'll get the hell out of here because I he's maybe saw something that a lot of people only suspect or that we know of now. And he took the deal, but then maybe later regretted it. And because the, a good soul is a good soul and he's somehow confessing in The Shining. Do you believe that that's a possibility? I think most of these things could be possible, right? Um, but I would say because he has so many themes of greed in the movie as well. And I think the gold room is a really great example um, that room is just decadent as decadent could be. He named it the gold room for the movie, right? Um, I would say if he's talking about current events at the time, if you're going to talk about imperialist greed, I think spending billions of dollars to fly people to the moon seems like kind of a lot of money to be spending in a place that maybe the, the payout is not that great. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it could be possible. Um, and that's why I kind of love the conspiracy theory, because if a conspiracy theory is just completely out of the realm of possibility, it's no fun, right? Um, so I, I do think it's a very fun one. I think it's possible, but just given the content of the movie itself, I I almost feel like it's him saying, no, no, I wouldn't do this. And here's all the reasons why I wouldn't. Um, and showing all the greed of imperialism and and all the pain of imperialism. Um, I think, you know, he was a very, you know, to your point, a very well-educated, very well-read person that I can see him being like, no, thank you, you know? 
I could see that too. And there, and I want to talk about it a little bit later, but there's another conspiracy theory linked to the film that came after Full Metal Jacket many years later, his last movie, Eyes Wide Shut. But we won't get there just yet. I, <laughs> um, but that's to speak to what you just said, that, yeah, he was quite against this imperialism. He was quite against the corruption in governments. And I think a lot of the turmoil and violence and corruption is what made him leave the United States. You know, this is a man who was born in the, in the Bronx, New York, um, and lived here a good deal of his life until after 2001, A Space Odyssey, and he split for good. Um, but, uh, you know, the shining itself is, it's still kind of new that people are analyzing that movie. Um, and I know there was a documentary made, uh, some years back called room 237. Do you feel like that's the best example of the shining analysis or are there better discussions or better uh, perspectives on it that either came before it or later? I think it hits some interesting points. Um, I think some of the points, it goes completely left field for me personally. Um, so I think with some things, you know, to my point before talking about, he's clearly having conversations about Native Americans, right? That's very clear. The documentary hits on that. I think that's case closed. I think we've got that one, right? Um, I think when it gets into the moon landing, I think it gets a little bit far-fetched. Um, I know kind of anyone who has seen that picks out the moon room key, you know, keychain on the door, right? So it says room number and just says N-O, which is a normal shortening of a word that everyone would see. And everyone's like, well, you know, you can rearrange those letters to say moon room. Like, okay, well, you can also rearrange it to say moo, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think that's a little bit far-fetched. Um, so there, there are certain things I feel like they tried to shoehorn a little bit too much into it. Um, and I think in that documentary, they presented a lot of things as fact that I'm like, is that a fact? I don't know. Um, so I, I think there were some fun points. I think it was a very fun documentary. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, but I... I don't think it's necessarily the most fleshed out. You know, I, I think kind of each of the little points that it makes, they give it a very short amount of time that I think each one of those buckets could be a two hour documentary in and of itself. Um, so yeah, I, I think it could be a little bit more sifted out than it is. Well, that makes a lot of sense because see, and I, and I liked Room 237, but my issue with it is what you just said, is that any great documentary also challenges the conspiracy. It just doesn't support it or just only allows that opinion, but also why this probably isn't true. And I've heard from a lot of people that the people that truly believe we fake the moon landings, that most likely Kubrick faked it. And then there's this fake confession from some actor that's supposed to be Stanley Kubrick. It's not Stanley Kubrick, but some people have shown that to me and said, look, here's video of Kubrick. I said, this isn't Stanley Kubrick. That's not him. And um, I mean, it just goes so into the outland in terms of a lot of these conspiracy theories that I can tell you right now, just having an eye for visual effects and understanding at the time of the moon landings, we simply did not have 
let's say you know uh, uh, 2001 a space odyssey being the pinnacle of of visual effects at the time couldn't even compare to the reality of all of that footage of the the launch of the orbit stuff that was real that was very real stuff so we had some technology at that point the only thing i would consider is that the landing itself the surface stuff may have been faked maybe we had the ability to get out there to launch to get out into orbit to do all those things but perhaps we didn't have the ability to land yet and i consider that but you know when you get into these conspiracy theories they get so crazy that it's like wow we need to challenge these things you can't just believe it because some lunatic online said the earth is flat uh, we we did away with that a long time ago <laughs> and this is no offense to anybody listening that truly believes the earth is flat i just haven't heard a very convincing argument against it because all of our data shows us otherwise right now and i'm not trying to insult anybody but i have not seen even a fraction of convincing evidence that would challenge you know my belief that we live on a spherical planet you know mm-hmm. so um so you have to be careful with this stuff but there are conspiracies and there are things being hidden from us and we do live a in a a fantastic world i'm going to definitely ask you this right now since i'm bringing it up have you ever experienced anything completely out of the ordinary or that would be considered supernatural and that could be as something as i mean it's complicated but because we don't know the answer but it could be as something as simple as have you ever seen an apparition have you heard anything have you ever dealt with anything in the realm of what would be considered supernatural so i can't say that i've personally experienced anything supernatural um but i definitely know i've had times in my life that you know i've i've said things to someone and they'll kind of stop and go what made you say that and it's something that they were exactly thinking or something that their father used to say when they were a kid or and i don't know why i said it right um so nothing that would be fun for like you know a ghost tv show unfortunately but I definitely don't think those things are out of the realm of possibility. And I, I don't think that just because something was something that I haven't experienced doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, so I like to kind of kick those cans down the road. I love watching ghost hunting shows, right? Um, because those things could exist, right? Um, even though I've never personally experienced it myself, and I'm really hoping if there's any ghosts in my home, um, they do not make themselves known tonight because I will freak out. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, um, luckily nothing nothing of the sort. Okay, now uh, and, and so to another note, we have a history, as you know, of writers of science fiction. This is post any prophet or that that could have said, oh, these are the things that will happen in our in our future. Writers of science fiction, beginning with, uh, let's just say, H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, people like that, moving on over to Philip K. Dick, and then to Stephen King, seem to have been able to prophesize things, or at least write about things, well before they happened. And if, and I talked about this um, on the newsletter last week, is that, you know, uh, something, or actually on the show with Bob that I, I had uh, the last guest on, um, talked about Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive as- Oh, I love that. Can, yeah, I love it too. 
And as campy and fun as it is, it is now, maybe not back then, right? Because the, you know we were in the tail of some alien weird comet. It was never fully described, kind of like Cell. You never know where it came from in his book Cell. Um, but, uh, but now that can happen because some kind of mastermind could hack into vehicles, electric vehicles, uh, and operate them remotely and cause a lot of havoc or any kind of device that could be operated the wrong way. And so you wonder, well, H.G. Wells wrote Island of Dr. Moreau. Philip K. Dick wrote a variety of paranoid tales, but also including Blade Runner, all of which, and Stanley Kubrick, you know, designed the movie AI that was made eventually by Steven Spielberg. All of this stuff could be real. And it's amazing how we, we become so doubtful of things when we really do live in a place with mystery and there is no true explanation as to why these things happen. Um, in regard to The Shining, all right, that was made by a man who believed in possibilities, believed that there may have been alien influence on us. Because if you go back to 2001 A Space Odyssey, that's really what it's about. You know, there's this alien influence on us. And then eventually we make this technology that turns against us in the end. How, you know? So do you think that Kubrick was, all of the things he was saying in The Shining had, were the true story of what he was portraying in that film? Because he did have an argument with Stephen King about belief in an afterlife. I wonder, with a man who believed in so many elaborate things and so many possibilities, what was he really trying to say with that movie? You know, I feel like it it might be one of those things that we'll talk about forever and a day and never fully understand everything he was trying to say. Um, and I, I think we all apply our own lens to it, right? So because I studied international relations, which is under political science, my brain instantly went to, this is his political statement. You know, this is his talk about imperialism, um, which it is. I mean, there are statements that he clearly says out loud, but I guarantee if someone came from more of a lens of, you know, seeking spirituality and understanding the afterlife, they would take something completely different from it. Um, and I think that's why all these decades later, we still talk about it. That's true, too. And if you think about themes in The Shining itself, and that's in the book, too, even though I would say... Stephen King's story is much more spiritual as opposed to Kubrick's interpretation because psychic abilities are a real thing, right? I mean, you know, we've had governments experiment with them 100%. We have proof of that. I mean, I talked to remote viewers that worked with the CIA and that was a real thing. I, you know, I visited their facilities, um, you know, met with people from DARPA that, Stuff right out of science fiction is very real. They're experimenting with things like you wouldn't even imagine unless they sat down to tell you they were truly making these things and have been for quite some time. Um, CIA agents have gone into Marvel Comics years ago. This has been proven 100% that they had influence over certain characters that were being put out into the world even then, well before the movies became popular. So we live in a very conspiratorial world where are where government plans and manipulations are hidden 100% have been proven anyone can do the research and find out but 
also things of a supernatural nature. And it, it blows your mind to think who might be behind this. And I wonder, you know, I, we, it's almost like we don't want to believe, you don't want to believe any glories taken away. You don't want to believe heroes are not your heroes. But time and time again, we see these things. And sometimes I feel like Stanley Kubrick was, yes, he was revealing corruption. But what's the depth of that corruption? You know, I, and again, if you feel uncomfortable talking about any perspective on conspiracies or ideas like that, I, you know, I would never push you there. But I'm just curious as to how you feel about certain things. It's, it's, it's the deeper down this rabbit hole that you're willing to go to find out. And I, and I have no declarations outside of what's been truly proven and the research that's also been confirmed by governments around the world. I'll never go anywhere and say something is true if that, if that hasn't been confirmed. I can say I believe something is true, but I can't tell you it's true. What, what are your views upon, uh, and this is getting a little existential, what are your views upon our existence and what we've been shown as people, because this is aligned very much so with Kubrick hiding things in his movies. What do you believe truly is happening behind the scenes? Do you think it's the way, what they portray us? Oh, no way. I mean, I think, I think every single world, and when I say world, I mean in the microcosm sense, right, has an underbelly, a backdoor, an attic that we know nothing about. And the simplest things, you know, when people, you know, the the old moniker, like you don't want to see how the sausage is made, right? Um, those are things we knew nothing about if you didn't work in the meat industry and you didn't want to know, right? Um, so I think in every space, there are plenty of things that we know nothing about. And in a lot of spaces, it's by design, um, sometimes for good reasons, right? Because people tend to panic about things. So maybe it's something that they want to avoid. And that's, you know, in, in the best light, it's to protect. Um, in the worst light, it's to hide for nefarious reasons. Um, and I think all of those things exist um, in this world. You know, I think there are definitely things that we'll find out 50 years from now, 100 years from now, that people today are going to go, aha, I was saying that all along. I knew it. Um, and those things have been happening since the dawn of time. So yeah, there's of course things that that are out there that none of us are privy to. And you know, to your point before, when you were saying that so many of these phenomenal writers and filmmakers seem to have prophesized things, and, and sometimes they sort of do. Um, sometimes they can kind of read the room and see where things are going to go. You know, they can kind of follow the breadcrumbs and understand where things go. But I also think sometimes, you know, art imitates life, imitates art. So if art pushes a certain boundary, actual real life, whether it's scientists or the government or whomever might go, oh, hey, that's actually a pretty dang good idea. Let's uh, let's push that way when maybe they weren't thinking of that, right? Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that there's things out there that we may never know. Messages. We'll be right back. There are those who say 
that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it, what would you tell them? I did approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The summer guests have left the isolated Overlook Hotel, and now all 200 rooms stand empty. Only Danny Torrance and his parents remain, snowbound, 40 miles from the nearest town. But are they really alone? Danny knows something indescribably evil is there with them, waiting. Danny? Danny, come here. You've done something wrong, and I want you to take your medicine like a man. Danny? Danny? No! Danny, come here. Come here and take it like a man. Your mommy and daddy can't help you now. The Shining by Stephen King. The terrifying tale of Danny's struggle to save himself and his parents from unspeakable horror. The new signet paperback bestseller by the author of Carrie and Salem's Lot. The Shining. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine.
it's more complicated than just saying, well, they prophesized it all. Um, I mean, Mary Shelley, what was she like, 19 when she wrote Mm -hmm. Frankenstein? And that was about, in a way, rejuvenating genetic human tissue and creating a, a new person. But we're at the dawn of making that happen one way or another, whether it be a biological or half biological being with a artificial intelligence, we're going to do it. And the warning put out in everything from Mary Shelley's book to H.G. Wells to Jim Cameron's movies is don't do it. (laughs) You know, like it's not going to end good. Do you believe those are just fears that are coupled with these kind of ideas and visions of what we kind of all inherently have? Or are they rational fears? Like, should we not mess with things? Um, Should we not manipulate and create these intelligences? Like, I'm just curious to how you feel. Um, I mean, I think they're completely rational fears, right? Um, But I think scientific progress is important, right? Um, If we didn't push the bounds of science, we would never have been able to invent antibiotics, right? Um, So I think it is important to keep pushing the bounds of science, but I think those are completely rational fears, of course. Um, And to your point, you know, right now the big fear is AI because it can do things that we might not fully understand what it can do yet. Um, And that's a completely rational fear. If it's something, you know, Frankenstein's monster, of course, is the the great case. He creates something and just unleashes it and doesn't understand what that actually means and what those implications are. Um, So these have been warnings that we've gotten since forever. Um, So I think, yeah, they're completely rational fears. And I think it's good to sit around and have think tanks and think these things through and put guardrails in place. um, And maybe sometimes kind of slow down the progress a little bit to kind of understand what those implications are because the dominoes could just shoot out in every direction and you might not know how to stop them. Sure. And I wonder, um, you know, and again, Stanley Kubrick is one of these people because he's had these warnings in a good deal of his, his movies. And let's say, you know, I'm going backwards a little bit, but let's start with 2001 A Space Odyssey. And obviously that wasn't his first movie at all, but Every movie after that, uh, perhaps excluding Barry Lyndon, was saying something about modern, you know, caveats about the modern human and what we're doing one way or another, Um, even including The Shining. So uh, Clockwork Orange, you know, it's, it's showing how we could really mess up. There's mind control experiments in Clockwork Orange and showing how they would do no good. You know, um, they're not helping anything. Um. I mean, he was in tune with a lot of things, so I could understand him wanting to speak. Um, And again, going back to a deal he may have made, the only way he would have gotten away with it, because he couldn't outright say it, he would have had to have outsmart his benefactors. The only way to outsmart his benefactors was to subliminally put it in his work that after his death, (laughs) <laughs> like we're we're talking about it, you know, like way after his death. And um I'm just saying, like hypothetically speaking, if it was real that he took a deal to do something with the government and he received this incredible reward that he wanted to confess, and the only way to do it 
would be to 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 put it into the threads of the work and outsmart his benefactors. Um, and I'm just saying that's that's the the scenario that would be true in my opinion, knowing enough about this man and what the way he thought. Because why would he put all this stuff? And this is all opinion and speculation and conjecture. But in your opinion, why do you think? he was putting these messages in the movie. For what reason? You know, so I think a lot of the, and I've watched a lot of YouTube conspiracies on on him allegedly faking the moon landing. And the only actual clue that I, that I believe, because it's there and it's very clear, is Danny's sweater, right? Um, the other ones I think are absolute stretches um, and I don't really think they jive. Um, so if that's the case, if it's only the sweater, I don't know that he necessarily was speaking to the moon landing itself. Um, it, it really could have been just talking about the overarching cold war as a whole. Um, but without saying it so overtly because it was current events, right? So, you know, I, I don't think he put in as many hints as people think. I think people kind of took the sweater and ran with it, um, which is fun to do. Um, but then you kind of sometimes got to reel it back in and be like, okay, but is this based on a solid foundation? And I don't, I don't know that I buy that it is. Okay. And again, you, you know, you feel that those ones were much more subtle and kind of in not fully decipherable. Like you could go either way and you're leaning towards the fact that he's not talking about the moon landings in particular. What okay, so out of everything that was hidden in that movie, what would you say he was certainly talking about? Oh, he was, I mean, absolutely for sure talking about the Greek myth of the labyrinth, um, and was absolutely talking about imperialism. I mean, I, I have no question in that. And he overtly says it. Um, you know, like I said, there's he has them actually talk about people coming in trying to build the hotel and fighting Native Americans and stealing their land. And it was a burial ground. Those are things overtly said. Um, and then again, when he's at the bar and he talks about the white man's burden, you know, that's that's a poem that's written about U.S. imperialism with the Philippines. That's a pretty overt statement, right? Um, so I, I think those are very clear and right on the surface that all you need to do is now go on Wikipedia, look those things up and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Back when the movie came out, it would take a little bit more due diligence maybe to know what some of those things meant, right? But now it's it's a lot easier to kind of discern what those clues are. Um, could he have been putting a lot more layers in it? Of course, Stanley Kubrick was an onion of a man. Um, but I, I think it really was a very strong imperialist theme. And especially because he talks about, oh, four presidents have stayed here. And even, you know, when they show the picture at the end and you see Jack at that big ball, the ball is a 4th of July ball, which when you think of balls of that sort, I mean, you think of New Year's Eve, even though the hotel's not open for New Year's Eve, right? But you don't think of 4th of July for a big dress-up gala, right? Um, but he chose 4th of July for a reason, um, because you can't have his statement against U.S. imperialism if you don't have the birth of the U.S., right? So I, I think that was his political statement, Um yeah. So I, I really think that was his overarching theme. And I'm sure there are plenty of layers and I'm sure there are plenty of people that are like, oh, it goes so much deeper. Um, but I think that's why we keep talking about it. No, I appreciate that. You, you know, to to fully understand it, 
you'd have to know the man. Now, this is a man who left the United States never to return again. So you're right about that. And some people say because it was, um, you know, he was turning away from the violence of the late 60s and things that were happening in the country. Um, other people were saying that, um, you know, he preferred to just be in his own little world with his family and his cats and he would skip out and go and make the movies in these different sound stages uh, outside of London or in, in England. And every movie that he made after that was all in that area and ingeniously made, you know. And um, But I wonder sometimes, you know, who was truly supporting him and funding these efforts and if they had noticed so he had so much in the story itself and his adaptation of Kubrick's work that um, you know there was this powerful statement about the destruction of family and alcoholism and all of these things that are actually in the book because it's such a wonderful book. Um, and yeah, there are psychic abilities and all of those things were retained, the haunted hotel. Um, but do you think... Why do you think it is that he chose that novel like he did even up until his death? You know, every even Eyes Wide Shut was a novel that he, he had read at something caught his attention. Do you think he was finding vessels to hide things in? Because it seems like he was doing that throughout until his very last film. I think it's a little twofold, right? So I think he would look for stories. Um to then bring in his own messaging too. He was never just going to read a book and just create it as is. Um, but I think when it comes to The Shining, he saw parallels to the story he was trying to tell, right? Because his kind of political stance that I see there was was very anti this mass violence. Um, but the story had so much like about interpersonal violence, right? So I think it humanizes violence um, which sounds really weird to say, but it takes this kind of people can become desensitized to mass violence. Right. So if he just told the message of like, oh, yeah, they built this on an Indian burial ground or Native American burial ground, um, you know, they can in the movie, they say Indian burial ground. But now we would say, of course, Native American burial ground. Um, I feel like sometimes you can be desensitized to just the mass numbers involved there. So I think he saw this story of this violence within a family and he even just keeps bringing it into the movie, right? So when they're listening to the radio, they talk about a woman who went missing when she was hiking or hunting with her husband. Um, when they're driving to the hotel, they talk about the people that got stuck in the snow and had to resort to cannibalism. I think he's taking big violence and bringing it closer to home um, so that people can understand what it looks like a little bit more. So yeah, I think he he found this story and went, hey, these things can parallel and support one another to make audiences understand a bigger message by starting with a smaller message. Um, you know, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's, um, you know, it seems like people have gotten close to figuring this out, to really deciphering exactly what he was saying, because I don't believe that he would have just sat there and lied to you to mess with your head. Um, you know, I think sometimes p 
people would overcomplicate something or create an enigma to follow in a piece of work, much like a maze, I guess, to find your way out of it. But And a part of me believes he would have created all these little symbols for us to look for and chase it around, but I just don't think he would have dangled something in front of your face just to kind of play a joke on you and have you run around and figure it out. I don't know why he would do that, unless he was just really mischievous. I'm going over every possible angle, but you have to take into consideration, and I'll say briefly, his last film was kind of revealing an underworld, um, high political figures, uh, you know, different people and, and the 1%, okay, that they were, do- they were up to no good. And so the last movie really looked into that stuff. And I wonder, you know, this was, these were solid decisions he made. These were, these were things he thought about for years before he made these films. And if you put his movies together like a mandala, you know, like there was, there's a, if you put them all together, that maybe there's something collectively said in a lot of these films. And if, if you truly think about it, between, and you know, we could go back to Paths of Glory, um, you know, how, how military just is executing people for the silliest things and bureaucracy and, and mistakes made, filed, you know, in the wrong place and people get executed over it. Or um, in uh, Clockwork Orange, there's mind control programs. Um, and I know Anthony Burgess wrote that book, but still Kubrick chose to say something with that. In The Shining, the variety of things that are being said, um, Full Metal Jacket, the you know war, how horrible it can be, and the hypocrisy of it. Um, you know, Eyes Wide Shut, that there are hidden things going on in maybe a high society that nobody would even go near, you know? Uh, and you'd be shocked to find out if they existed. So I don't know, maybe there's something truly because truly collectively going on with those messages that maybe you wouldn't find out what the meaning of the shining is unless you connected it to all these other films do do you think that might be true i mean that wouldn't surprise me at all um because so much of the work that he's done is just so layered and has so many themes interwoven um that yeah i mean that would completely make sense for him to just string them all together. Okay. I wonder, do you know of anybody that tried to connect? And, and I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Do you know of anyone that tried to connect all of the films outside of what we're doing tonight? Off the top of my head, no, but I, I'm sure people have. I mean, they, I'm, it's got to be out there somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I'm just super interested to find out. And I think any of the listeners, um, you know, if, if you, if you want to try and unravel this puzzle... Personally, from my perspective, I think you would have to look at at least the movies from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey on in that way, you know, perhaps excluding Barry Lyndon, but I haven't really looked at it in this way, uh, that maybe there is something he's saying collectively that you, each, each of these movies is a piece to this puzzle. And I'm curious if um, maybe someday someone will unlock what he was saying. If anything, or in that, you know, the other option is that he was just messing around and wanted us to do this. <laughs> Either way, we're still talking about him, so he's, he did something right. This is true. Well, on the way out, uh, and I really appreciate you doing this, um, do you feel that there are any other movie makers that are, uh, 
that are symbolically hiding things in their in their motion pictures today? Oof. That's a hard one. Um I mean I'm sure. Um but I feel like I've not watched anything that has hit in the same way. Um and maybe it's because I feel like a lot of times I watch movies and people go, oh, there's a hidden meaning. Are you going to get it? I'm like, yeah, it's so obvious. It's this, you know? Um, so either people are just so good at hiding it that I'm not picking up on it, or it's just not as masterfully done. Um, and not to say that people aren't, of course. Um, but yeah, like I'm trying to think if there's there's any filmmakers that I'm really like, man, there's something under here that like I'm not, you know, I don't know. I'll yeah, take back I, you on that one. Yeah, I mean, it makes you, it makes you wonder too that were there others that were really speaking through their work? I know there's, you know, some unusual movie makers. I know David Lynch does that in a way where, you know, if you watch Mulholland Drive, he I remember in the in the Blu-ray or the DVD, he put a list of clues to try and figure out the the puzzle of the of the movie itself, and he loved Stanley Kubrick. I'm not saying they're the same person, but I think it's so interesting when someone does that, where your experience is beyond the the motion picture itself. Whereas I think a lot of movie makers, modern movie makers today, are it's more product to them than it being this thing that you're going to experience years later or for generations to come. And that I think the true movie makers are like that. They wanted you to see this. They wanted people to see it a hundred years later and really dissect it and understand it. And um, I think that's why movies and and great movies and great music and, and incredible literature is so important. You know, no matter what the subject matter is, there's more to be learned from it, and that expands the mind. So that's that's why I'm interested in this stuff. You know, that's why I was interested in talking to you about this. Yeah, and I I think with The Shining, I think because it came out so long ago, we've had so much time to really dig into it. Um, And, you know, not that long ago, I finally watched Bo is Afraid, and it tanked. I mean, just horrifically tanked in the box office. And I was like, but it's Joaquin Phoenix, it's Ari Aster, like, how can it be bad? It's not. It is brilliant. Um, And I think that's going to be one of those movies. I changed my tune because before I was like, I'm trying to think, Ari Aster, that's my answer. Um, I think fast forward 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I think people are going to go back to Bo is Afraid and go, holy cow, this movie's brilliant. Um, (laughs) I really, truly believe that. Um, But the first watch, you're like, what is happening? Um, and, And people just did not like it in theaters. Reviews were really bad. And then I watched it. I was like, this is incredible. Um, well, that happened, you know, that happened with The Shining. Mm-hmm. That happened with John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, that happened with Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. And yeah, Bo is Afraid is amazing. I, I saw that a couple of times. Great movie. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk about the graphic stuff in it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, that movie is infinitely more graphic than Eyes Wide Shut, but... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as an overarching, just saying, hey, Bo is Afraid was brilliant. Is, yeah. is good. <laughs> I'm not going to do an episode on Bo is Afraid. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, do, I do really love it. And I think it was one of the most realistic portrayals of, of a mental health struggle that I've ever seen in film. Um, and I think people 
it's not for everyone. This isn't my line. Um, my boyfriend said this, that it's not a movie for everyone, but the right people will find it. And when they find it, it will hit so hard. And he's the one that made me watch it. And I'm like, yeah, this is, it's, it's not something that every palette is going to like. So, okay. Would you, so that, that is of his taste. What, what are, what are some of your boyfriend's takes on what we're talking about tonight? Oh my gosh. He was excited for me to (laughs) talk about um, the shining because he knows that I, I think it's very fun to, to pose the question, you know, is, is he acknowledging the moon landing? Um, I think it's just, it's a fun thread to pull, no pun intended because it's the sweater. Um, So when I told him that I, I wanted to talk about that, he's like, that's wonderful because he knows I just, he also thinks it's just a very fun thing um, to dig into because honestly, if I'm going to believe in any conspiracy theory, it's not going to change, you know, the the state of my life, whether I believe it or not. So it's a fun one to just kind of be like, Hey, maybe it was faked. Um, do I really in my heart of hearts believe it was no, but you know, he just thought it was very funny. Um, that, you know, for me to just talk about it because he, he knows that I like to pull that thread. And would you be disappointed if you found out that it was faked? Would I be disappointed? I, hmm. I think I would. Um, because there's that little, there's that little piece in your heart that's like, man, we did this really cool thing, you know, like we landed on the moon. Like, you know, it's, it's, you kind of, it's, it's drilled into your brain in elementary school. So maybe it's just that like, you know, textbook, um, indoctrination. I don't, I don't know the the word to use for it, but you know, you kind of want to believe like, yeah, this was a feat and we did it. So I, I think it's just something very cool and in a very unique time in us history. So if I found out it was faked, I, I think I would be disappointed. I think I would. So maybe it's my wishful thinking that I don't like the clues in The Shining and I don't think they hold water. Maybe that's my own wishful thinking that I want it to not have been faked. You know, what's interesting is that, okay, even if it was, a lot of people don't realize we had other Apollo missions and mm-hmm. we went back to the moon. I know. I, I remember hearing somebody saying, oh, we never went back to the moon. Isn't that weird? And it's like, I, do you do you not did you not pick up a history book or you don't realize that we did go back to the moon and Edgar Mitchell, astrophysicist, was one of the later Apollo mission moonwalkers, and he had his own set of conspiracies, and it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, with someone so that has so much to lose, he actually was on the moon. He never denied being there, but what he did say was that the U.S. government and governments around the world have been in touch with extraterrestrial intelligence for a very long time and that we've communicated with them. They've exchanged technologies. We've given them things. You know, How do you feel about someone so prominent like that? And he's not the only one that, and we'll, we'll lead out with this, like what do you feel about that level of conspiracy, that, that something so extraordinary uh, and paradigm shifting as being hidden from us that, that we've actually communicated with beings from other worlds. So I think it's terrifying a little bit. Um, and I, I think kind of anyone would feel that way. Um, you know, I like to think that 
if there's life on other planets, that they're no more advanced than bacteria and we're perfectly safe on our perfect little safe planet. Um, but that is rose-colored glasses, perfect world. The universe is very large. Um, so I definitely think that there could absolutely be intelligent life out there. Um, to what level? I don't know. Um, to what level we've discovered any of it? Who knows? Um you know, do I do I believe that there are giant flying saucers coming down every other day? No. Um, but it's a little bit scary, you know, because I, I just picture growing up, I was really into the Twilight Zone. And there was that one episode, I'm trying to remember, it was like a night on something street. And I can't remember the name of the street, but the aliens come down and they just turn off the electricity just on that one street. And like everyone starts fighting with each other and then one guy's car starts working and they all turn on him and they think he's an alien and it's just aliens flipping switches on humans. Um, so it kind of makes you start to feel like a like an ant in an ant farm and someone else is is at the reins. So it's a little it's a little scary to think about. Um, so sometimes I sometimes I like to kind of scratch that itch and think about it. But most of the time I just like to put my head in a book about something that's a little bit more secular, a little bit more um, things that I'm familiar with, you know? I don't blame it's you. It's scary. Yeah, it's really important to stay grounded. I've, over the years, have talked to so many different people with so many stories, either of the supernatural or um, of things that have been proven to be things you wouldn't believe if you didn't know about, uh, to um, conspiracies that I doubt at least some of them. And, but one thing that I'm not sure of your beliefs, and there's no right or wrong answer, and this is the last question I, I ask every guest, um, if you were to retain your consciousness or however you see it after your physical death, mm -hmm. and there's no right or wrong answer, what would you take with you? Oh, So you mean in the form of, of memories and knowledge that I would want to have in whatever an afterlife looks like? If that's what your answer is, yes. I don't know. It's hard to say um, because sometimes you would want to, to maintain who you are going into whatever that afterlife is, but that can be really painful because you just left everything um, to go into the unknown, whatever that unknown is. Um so of course I I want to say the the really nice answer of you know maintaining all the the love and memories of my friends and family and the people I care about but that could be really painful for eternity potentially right um depending on on what style of afterlife you believe in so it's a really good question honestly um I don't know I I I think I would want to maintain those memories it would hurt because that'd be rough because now you're on your own, right? But yeah, but maybe it'd be nice if I wasn't so knowledgeable. Maybe I, I maintain the memories, but maybe I'm a little bit less like self-aware. <laughs> so it doesn't hurt so much, you know?
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. The messages in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining are still a mystery. Perhaps someday, someone will decipher the true meaning of why Kubrick weaved them. But more importantly, whether it's a deliberate puzzle or not, it never overshadows the power of his immortal film. Until next time.